Hey guys, welcome back to my channel. So on today's episode, I wanted to do something a little bit more lighthearted and fun for me at least because I feel like the past two videos, I noticed that although I have a lot of fun talking about everything I talk about and it's very fulfilling, I feel like the last two videos I made for some reason when I was editing them, I just felt like a little bit emotionally drained from the things that I was talking about. And so for my own sanity, I just wanted to nip this in the bud and make sure that I'm balancing things out as much as I can. Editing these videos usually takes me a couple days and just hours and hours of like having to listen to myself talk, making sure that, especially the past two videos, I'm keeping the information that is necessary and that I feel like does the topic justice. And so that on top of like my coaching business and all these other things that I try to maintain, it's just like a lot sometimes to have to think think so hard about all these different things that takes a lot of reflection and just like deep critical thinking and sometimes like emotional energy as well just like trying to make sure I'm as empathetic towards other people as possible and cognizant of other people I feel like especially with the BPD video that I just edited I was constantly during the editing process insecure about the way I talked about BPD and I felt like I didn't want to make those out there with BPD feel bad about the way I was wording some of the descriptions and so I feel like you know thinking so much about that kind of like drained me a little bit um so yeah on today's video i wanted to dissect my myers-briggs personality type which is the infj and why so many other autistic individuals also score infj on the myers-briggs see if there is some sort of similarity or pattern there i think today's video is going to be super super fun and interesting because i know for a fact a lot of you are probably INFJs, right? So with that being said, get yourself comfortable. I have myself my little coffee over here and also my bottle of water. Get yourself comfortable. Get yourself what you need to stim. Enjoy today's episode. Let's get into it. To start off today's video, I wanted to kind of like preface this a little bit. I love personality tests and I feel like this is a very autistic trait because I feel like a lot of the times it's so hard to understand people on an intrinsic fundamental level, especially how people interact with each other, with us and with the world. And I feel like for a lot of us, it's hard to learn about these social cues and social interactions in our own experiences in life, if that makes sense. I feel like for a lot of autistic individuals, we learn social interactions and social normities through other avenues. Things like watching TV, things like watching YouTube videos, things like watching movies. I feel like something that's also very common is a lot of autistic individuals are also very, very passionate about personality tests and psychology. Because I feel like what all of this comes down to is our deep interests in observing people and trying to figure out why people are the way they are is ultimately us trying to figure out why people are the way they are in our lives. 
But I feel like that learning process is different than holistic people because I feel like holistic people can pick it up naturally through their own interactions. But I feel like for autistic people, we have to pick it up kind of like in the comfort of our own home and without the pressure of having to also be in the interaction and be cognizant of what we're doing, what we're saying and how we are coming across. So the way we like to learn is like very much so from the viewer standpoint. And I feel like a lot of the times, the things that can facilitate that learning process for us in a comfortable way is by us watching stuff on a screen and by learning things through reading things and through maybe even a classroom setting. And that kind of like ties into the fact that I feel like a lot of the times autistic people approach things, especially like subjective personal relationships and personal interactions very objectively sometimes because we're ultimately kind of like bringing in all of the information that we've soaked up throughout the years and we're trying our hardest to apply it as much as we can to our interpersonal relationships and interactions sometimes it fits really well and we actually through what we learned on our own time can interpret other people very well and know how we can show up for them the best that we can. In that sense, I feel like it is a superpower of a lot of autistic people to know exactly how to show up for the other person because we're ultimately approaching it in a very almost like mathematical, pragmatic way rather than just like naturally just doing whatever we want to do. And I think that's why as well, a lot of autistic people really, really thrive even more than holistic people, I feel like, in one-on-one -on -one interactions because we're able to, one, observe the other person, kind of calculate what they need based off of what we've learned about psychology and personality, stuff like that. Also, I think a part of that is like pattern recognition. In order to know how to show up for someone the best that we can, we have to know their patterns to begin with. So if someone we know is ever struggling with something, we know how to help them and we know how to even guide them to the help that they need. Of course, not all autistic people are like this, but I feel like for autistic people out there who have psychology and personality study as their special interest, I feel like we're really, really good at this. This is definitely one of my special interests, which is why I thrive so well on one-on-one -on -one interactions and why I do so well in my one-on-one -on -one coaching is that exact thing I just described, the pattern recognition and being able to see from like a bird's eye view what someone's superpowers are, what things that they lack in, and therefore what are aspects of their lives and themselves that are falling through the cracks and not doing so well. And how can we get those specific weaknesses back up and build a life around them that is fulfilling to them, a life where they can thrive in. But like doing that in a way that is in the way that they can learn best and pick up those habits best because how someone gets their life back together is gonna be different depending on every different person. You know, one person who takes feedback directly very well is not going to apply to another person who doesn't take direct feedback well. Some people need a little bit more space to figure out their own answers, but need more affirmation. Some people just like more direct feedback, whether that's good or bad. Everyone's different. 
What I think is very interesting is I see that there is a pattern of a lot of autistic individuals also being INFJs. I see this because I'm a part of a bunch of online groups of autistic women, autistic individuals, and every now and then we'll have a poll on there where people vote on what Myers-Briggs they are. And the highest scoring Myers-Briggs personality type on these groups is always INFJ. And I just think that's super interesting. And I definitely think that if I really deep dove into this topic, I could start to pick apart why so many autistic individuals are also INFJs. But before I get into that, I also wanna say, I know Myers-Briggs gets a lot of scrutiny, a lot of flack from like a lot of skeptical people out there who are very, very keen on just needing everything to be like scientifically, medically proven, factual, things like that. Although I think that is super important. And although I think, you know, woo-woo stuff is also a slippery slope, again, my my philosophy is just to have duality in your life. You should be grounded in facts, medical science, things like that, but also have an openness to the fact that not everything could be proven by science and understood by science, at least on a humanistic level, because we're all human and humans can only know and do and understand so much. And there is always room left for just us being able to understand and learn on a level that is not able to be explained through physical medicine, science, things like that. Okay, let's get into what an INFJ even is. So I'm gonna read the traits of an INFJ and also intersperse my own thoughts and experiences into this and perhaps even like analyzations of how autism relates to it as well. The introduction to the INFJ, this is the personality type that is called the advocate. An advocate INFJ is someone with the introverted, intuitive, feeling, and judging personality traits. They tend to approach life with deep thoughtfulness and imagination. Their inner vision, personal values, and a quiet principled version of humanism guide them in all things. Advocates INFJ may be the rarest personality type of all, but they certainly leave their mark on the world. Idealistic and principled, they aren't content to coast through life. They want to stand up and make a difference. For advocate personalities, success doesn't come from money or status, but from seeking fulfillment, helping others, and being a force for good in the world. While they have lofty goals and ambitions, advocates shouldn't be mistaken for idle dreamers. People with this personality type care about integrity and they're rarely satisfied until they've done what they know to be right. Conscientious to the core, they move through life with a clear sense of their values and they aim never to lose sight of what truly matters, not according to other people or society at large, but according to their own wisdom and intuition. So the first thing that really stood out to me is the statement that says success doesn't come from money or status, but from seeking fulfillment, helping others, and being a force for good in the world. I resonate really, really deeply with this because I do understand that to an extent money is important. I feel like, I don't want to get too political here, but we... In America, we kind of live in a capitalist um, country. Money is super important especially in America. I feel like you can't do a lot of things if you don't have money, right? But I do as well feel like 
And this, I feel like, is a part of who I am naturally. This is kind of like nature versus nurture, but also I was raised in a household where my father was very, very, very toxic about his concept of money and how he dealt with money. I, I grew up in a financially abusive environment and that was from my father. I felt like he was constantly shaping this very scary idea of like money, how we never have enough. Money was always used to threaten us growing up as well. If we didn't do what he wanted us to do, if we misbehave, it was always like, I'm gonna throw you out on a street and since I'm the only one that makes money, you're gonna suffer and die. You're gonna be basically, you're not gonna be able to survive without me because I'm the one with the money. I'm the one with the power. I'm the one who could do things. I'm the one who could call the shots. And that is a very extreme level of how he saw money. But I feel like a lot of people see money in the same ways. They might not do the same things that he did, but people see money as power. People see money as resource. People see money as an excuse to control others in their lives and to call the shots. But, you know, before I, I go on off on a tangent, because I could see myself doing that already. <laughs> I feel like growing up with a father who really like emphasized the power of money and the fact that he had power over us because of money, it taught me from a very early age to not care about money because one money was such a painful topic and experience for me because it was always used to threaten me and so I learned early on to not care about money and to not want to care about money because to me I felt like for so many years of my life I had to detach myself from money because that meant finding a sense of freedom and happiness because if I didn't care about money I didn't also have to care about listening to my dad and being abused by him anymore and I also feel like throughout the years being able to prove to myself that I could be happy without money be happy in my life without prioritizing everything around money making money spending money all these things I felt like it just really built my philosophy around the fact that Money should be a resource for you. It should be a, a means to survival, but it shouldn't be what shapes your life and what gets you up in the morning. It shouldn't control every aspect of your life. It should just be one of those legs to your table, if that makes sense. Another thing that I resonated with was this sentence that said, conscientious to the core, they move through life with a clear sense of their values and they aim never to lose sight of what truly matters, not according to other people or society at large, but according to their own wisdom and intuition. Okay, so this, if, if this statement is not autistic as hell, I don't know what is because... I think this statement is literally one of the biggest reasons why so many autistic individuals test to be INFJs. Because INFJs have this thing to them where they're not reliant and attached to society and how society tends to operate. There is like this sense of individualism. Of course, I feel like a lot of autistic people don't choose that. I mean, that's just how we develop and that's how we conceptualize things 
And that isn't also to say that there's a lot of other people out there who are not autistic that test to be INFJ because for whatever reason, they learn to be detached from society as well. But I definitely resonate with this a lot. I feel like throughout my whole life, I had very clear set moral values and ways that I carry myself and ways that I believe others should carry themselves. I've always felt very perplexed by other people because I felt like, I feel like life is so simple. People are so simple, but I feel like humans learn to complicate it so deeply. And I feel like when I observe interactions of others, I've always felt like it was so convoluted and just unnecessarily painful and complicated. And I feel like a part of constantly having to be put in the position of an observer because the root of that is like not understanding so you're kind of forced to be an observer because you can't really partake yourself but you're also just trying to figure things out a part of that is like once you've gathered so much information over years and experiences you have all this information and things that you learn from it wisdom right that has like built up and is just piling up throughout the years. And I feel like that is literally what a lot of INFJs do. And I feel like a big part as well of autism and intuition, as it says in this statement, is, and this part is very nuanced, right? Because we we like to talk about how autism is like your socially abnormal. I guess that's the best way I could kind of summarize it. So like you don't intrinsically understand social cues, other people, all of these things. But I feel like the interesting thing that begins to happen is that as a lot of autistic people age and as they really use their observational skills to observe other people and learn from TV shows, movies, whatever, psychology, We begin to write out this book in our minds of information, of people, why they are the way they are, patterns, things like that. And I feel like that really feeds into this whole concept of intuition. I feel like intuition, when people think about it, is like this abstract concept with no form. Like it's just this thing that you feel. But I feel like it's not as abstract as people may think, especially in the context of INFJs and and autistic individuals, because what it really is, is just pattern recognition. Really, really, really good, detailed pattern recognition. I feel like for a lot of autistic people, and for myself specifically, I remember every single person I interact with and what their patterns are, even if I haven't seen or talked to them for years. I feel like my intuition comes from that. The fact that I, the more I understand and learn about someone and have all of this information on them and observe how they react in specific situations and how that repeats again and again and again, I could then begin to predict what they're going to do, things like that. And I feel like as well, what goes into autistic intuition is not only the objective pattern recognition, but also like the feeling part of it as well. I feel like a lot of autistic people feel so deeply, like we are very big energetic 
readers. And I feel like this comes from the fact that when you don't understand people on an intrinsic social level throughout your life, you begin to rely on other aspects of yourself to tap into others and your environment. For example, an autistic kid might not understand what their group of friends are doing and talking about on a day-to-day level, but they might be very tapped into energies of other people. Energy doesn't have to be social. I feel like when it comes to energy reading and intuition, it happens in levels. I feel like the first level, you just start to recognize when energy changes. You might not know what label to put the energy to. So like not being able to read the difference between anger, sadness, happiness, things like that. But you understand that there are different energies and you could read it right away. The second step is recognizing what different energies are. So like learning that a specific energy and what it feels like is actually labeled as happiness, sadness, anger, things like that. And so the next level to that is being able to read someone's energy and what that means, even when they're not necessarily depicting it in the stereotypical way so being able to read that someone is angry even when they are smiling and looking happy but you just know that it feels off and it's not quite right because you feel that there is a disconnect between what they're presenting as and what they're actually feeling if that makes sense i feel like that third part that i just described is really when that intuition starts to play in because intuition is something that other people may not understand or see but you can feel it and you might not necessarily know how to explain it at least in in the moment but it makes a lot of sense to you. Does that make sense? Okay. Seeking purpose, perhaps because their personality type is so uncommon, advocates tend to carry around a sense, whether conscious or not, of being different from most people with their rich inner lives and their deep abiding desire to find their life purpose. They don't always fit in with those around them. This isn't to say that advocates can't enjoy social acceptance or close relationships, only that they sometimes feel misunderstood or at odds with the world. Fortunately, the sense of being out of step doesn't diminish advocates' commitment to making the world a better place. Advocates are troubled by injustice, and they typically care more about altruism than personal gain. They often feel called to use their strengths, including creativity, imagination, and sensitivity, to uplift others and spread compassion. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. I think a lot of autistic people are going to read that and be like, yeah, I am different for most people, but not in a way where we're bragging. Like, it's just a fact. Like, we're different. Sometimes that's not a good thing because it makes us feel very, very sad and alienated, (laughs) but it's just the truth. Many advocates see helping others as their mission in life, and they're always looking for ways to step in and speak up for what's right. People with this personality type also aspire to fix society's deeper problems in the hope that unfairness and hardship can become things of the past. At times, however, advocates may focus so intently on their ideals that they don't take adequate care of themselves. A pattern that can lead to stress and burnout. Oh my god, is this... I feel like this website's literally just reading off autistic traits. I'm just gonna keep reading because I don't want to go on a bunch of personal tangents. Connecting with others and themselves. Advocates may be introverted, but they value deep, authentic relationships with others. 
Few things bring these personalities as much joy as truly knowing another person and being known in return. Advocates enjoy meaningful conversations far more than small talk, and they tend to communicate in a way that is warm and sensitive. This emotional honesty and insight can make a powerful impression on the people around them. That was beautiful, you guys. Like, that made me want to tear up. I resonated so deeply with that because throughout my life, I just felt like I could never understand and always felt so overwhelmed when it came to groups of people, big crowds of people. The root to that anxiety is that I feel like when you get a lot of people in the same vicinity, there's this weird thing that happens where people are less like their authentic self. Explaining from my point of view, and as a woman with autism, I I feel like I literally can see a person in their core self, but as they're put into situations with more people, I just see like layers and layers and layers and layers piling on top of their core self until they're not even themselves anymore. And when I would see things like this happening, And I would see all of these masks just like interacting with each other. I felt so disconnected and just like baffled as to why this is normal and why this is happening. And I always felt so deeply like why can't people just be themselves and see each other for who they are? Why do people have to hide themselves and have to be taught to hide themselves? What I really gain out of one-on-one deep and connected interactions is I can actually build a space for someone else to let those layers melt off and just be themselves and to not have to worry about being anyone else and doing anything else other than what they want to do and who they actually are. And there's just something so beautiful about learning All of these different things about this other person, what makes them who they are, their life experiences as a human, just like learning about them, all the uniqueness that is them, and sharing that moment with each other. Something that I've noticed as well throughout my life is when I would have these one-on-one interactions with people, I noticed that it it always takes time for the other person to warm up to me and to like let those layers melt off. I notice in the beginning, they're always apologizing for things. Oh, I'm sorry, is that offensive? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm taking up space. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sharing something too deep. Oh, I'm sorry, I got a little bit carried away there and angry, things like that. And I always have to remind them, don't be sorry. Why are you apologizing? If I didn't value you, if I didn't want to be here, I would not be here. I would be at home, chilling in my room, enjoying life. I chose to be here with you because I want to be here with you. I want to understand you. I want to learn about you. I want to hold space for you. And I feel like a lot of the times, the friends that I I really like made throughout the past few years, especially that are like more connected to me on a deeper level, they can pretty much understand that right off the bat because they do observe and understand Irene's right because she doesn't hang out with a lot of people so the fact that she took her time and energy to come you know spend time with me is it actually means something so I feel like I believe her when she says she wouldn't be here if she didn't want to things like that but yeah I feel like 
initially people are always like feeling guilty for the fact that they are being themselves and when I actually like reassure them that it's okay and that if it was a burden to me or if I didn't want to I wouldn't be here they can understand like I can actually be myself around Irene I trust her and I feel seen and they become themselves but I feel like what a lot of people don't talk about is the other side of the coin which is how we feel I feel like a lot of the times throughout my life I felt this deep sense of purpose and fulfillment out of allowing other people to feel seen and creating a space where other people could feel seen but as well I felt a deep sense of just like loneliness and dissatisfaction with the fact that I felt like I wasn't being seen and I would put myself in many different situations where I would hope that I could be seen by the other person, understood by the other person, and that just never really happened. This applies to my friendships. This applies to even therapists that I've had in the past. I always felt like a deep need to connect on a very profound level, but that was only really happening for the other person, if that makes sense. And yes, that is really, really fulfilling and I love it, but it's like there's there's an other aspect that wasn't being fulfilled and that was like my deep need to be understood and seen as well. And that's something that I learned many, many, many years ago that it's just not going to happen. And I had to learn to be okay with that. And that's not to say that I would never be seen and understood by others, but it's just that it's going to be harder if that makes sense. And that I'm just going to have to do different things to get that need met. And I feel like that's probably a widespread experience with a lot of autistic individuals. Like that feeling of you feel very happy when you could finally build a community around you of relationships that is very deep and raw and meaningful. But also there's that aspect of you feeling like that same amount of awareness and space being held is not really done for you. So on that end, I resonate with you guys and I know how hard it could be sometimes. Just know that you just have to keep trying to find ways to feel like you are seen and understood. For me personally, ways that I've always felt more seen and understood on a deeper level was through artistic expression, creativity. When I created art, I felt like I had a vessel in which I can express myself on a deeper level that other people were more willing to witness. And that also applies to TikTok and that also applies to this channel. When I upload videos and speak on these types of things, I feel like a deep sense of fulfillment that I'm finally able to express everything that makes me who I am and put it out there in a way where other people can feel fulfillment as well making myself seen, right? I feel like this is such a beautiful way to create and connect and also get that part of me fulfilled. And I'm thankful that I was able to find something that could fulfill that aspect of me. Because for many years in my teens and throughout my early 20s, I felt like I didn't have that necessarily. And I always felt like that sense of unfulfillment. That's just a part of an INFJ's life. That's just a part of an autistic person's life. You could be very, very fulfilled in many ways of your life, but still 
crave a little bit more. Which literally, this next paragraph, thoughtful and compassionate advocates pour a great deal of energy and care into their relationships. This doesn't mean that they always feel appreciated in return. Advocates tend to act with great thought and care, and it can frustrate them when other people don't recognize their good intentions. As a result, even constructive criticism may feel incredibly personal or hurtful to these personalities. Okay. Interesting. Like I said, I feel like that feeling of wanting to be appreciated and understood is something that I feel like a lot of people learn to overcome to an extent. At least we learn to deal with it and make space for it. It doesn't mean we don't still crave it, but it just means it doesn't hurt us as much or impact us as much. I think it would be interesting for me to read through the criticisms of INFJ personality type and to kind of go through what I think about them because I feel like we know our strengths. I spent like 50 minutes now talking about it. So let's go through the criticisms or as this website calls it, weaknesses. Okay, sensitive to criticism. Advocates aren't adverse to feedback. That is, unless they believe that someone is challenging their most cherished principles or values when it comes to issues that are near and dear to them. People with this personality type can become defensive or dismissive. I disagree with this sentence, especially on a personal level, because I feel like I am very good with constructive criticism because one, it's just information. When you apply that ideology to criticism and someone giving you constructive criticism, you have to know that the information they're giving you is about you. And so if that's the case, you know yourself more than that person knows you. And I'm saying this in the context of the INFJ and of an autistic person because this won't necessarily apply to everyone, right? There's a lot of people out there that really doesn't know themselves and are not self-aware. But for people who are very self-aware and knows themselves more than others, because if you're autistic, you know, you have masks, you don't really know how to accurately portray yourself to someone else. So their concept of you is always going to be a little bit confused and muddy and blurry. But... When someone is giving you feedback of yourself, you as the person receiving it, you have the power to listen, think about it, understand it, and therefore come to the conclusion of, is this feedback valid? Because is their perception of me accurate or not? A lot of the times, if their perception of you is not accurate, their feedback is not valid, right? And so when that happens, I feel like the INFJ slash autistic person feels the need to kind of like explain to this person why their feedback is not accurate, why their perception of them is not accurate. And I think this can be seen as defensiveness, but I don't think it's defensiveness because as the person who's experienced this before, I see it as your information of me is wrong, your feedback is therefore a little bit skewed and not valid i'm going to give you the information that is true and factual so that you can understand a little bit better and if you still think you want to give me feedback then at least give me feedback based off of the facts and i feel like people see that as defensiveness and not being able to take criticism well but i feel like i see it more as like an objective thing like I'm correcting you and giving you the facts and the information you need rather than saying like, that's not true. I don't believe it. No, not true. 
I'm not going to take that feedback. I feel like defensiveness is when you are delusional about something. Like what that person is saying and their perception of you and their feedback for you is actually accurate and valid, but you're just wanting to be delusional about it and defend yourself despite the truth that they're speaking. That is my perception of being defensive and not being able to take criticism well. And all this to say, as you guys can see, INFJs and a lot of autistic people are very, very, very detailed, deep thinkers. I rarely, if ever, meet someone that thinks about things as deeply and as intensely as I do. If I were to watch something happen and play out with another person and we both see the same things, I can probably write an essay about what we just observed when the other person is just like, oh yeah, that happened. Yeah, that guy took that girl's ball in the playground. Yeah, he's not nice. But I, I would probably write a, a freaking novel about like what led this boy to take that girl's ball and what the ball means. What's the metaphor of the ball? Things like that. So when someone that I feel like is not thinking as deeply about something and myself as I do comes to me with feedback that takes a snap second to think over and to like vomit out through words and I feel like they haven't put much thought into it and it's not accurate then of course it's gonna feel off to me because I feel like a part of being an INFJ and, and being autistic is like you know who you are and what you lack and what you need to improve on. So therefore, if someone ever mirrors back to you feedback that you know you need to work on, I feel like it's easy to say, okay, yeah, I understand. I know I need to work on that. Thank you for reminding me and maybe even like helping me with ways I can improve. I feel like I've been through many experiences in the past where let's say like a previous manager of mine brought me to the side and gave me feedback and constructive criticism. And they were like, hey, Irene, the way you interact with people sometimes is very cold and intimidating and I feel like the way my boss was giving me that feedback was she was scared that I was going to be defensive and deny everything that she said I was doing but every single time I was like yeah I know I am I understand like I know I'm scary I know I'm intimidating I know sometimes I rub people the wrong way I know that this happens and I feel like a lot of the times my manager was very surprised with how quickly I was able to accept her feedback to me because I feel like normal people People are always very defensive of criticism because they take it very personally and as an attack rather than just information that is either factual or not factual. And I think that's the part that takes life experience, self-awareness, and healing to really tune in on because I feel like sometimes when you're being misunderstood and perceived in an incorrect way, it could be offensive because you feel like you have to defend yourself and explain yourself to this person. Saying to someone else, oh, actually, what you say isn't true because of, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And then you feel a little bit distraught from having to explain all that to another person and you feel attacked and misunderstood and things like that. But I feel like as you accept yourself more and you become more secure with yourself, you can go through that process in your own head and emotionally process that on your own. That internal dialogue will be more like this. I could see how that person thinks that I did this thing wrong because 
their perception of me is this. And if that's the case and they perceive me as this, then it totally makes sense that they need me to improve with A, B, and C. But I know myself and I know that I'm not like that. Therefore, what I did is completely valid and I think that it doesn't need to change in the context of of who I actually am. If that's the case, I don't want to go through the trouble of having to explain that to this person because they're completely entitled to their own opinions and perceptions of me. I can listen to their critiques, understand it, validate it, but know that I don't have to necessarily resonate with it or do anything with it on my end. I feel like it's nice to reach that point where you can be very objective about things and know that it's not personal even when constructive criticism is directly pointed at you. So it could seem like it is personal, but you can understand that because it's not accurate to who you actually are, it's therefore not personal because it's not about you then. It's about their perception of you. It's more so about them. Does that make sense? I hope you guys are following me. I hope you guys are following me because it makes sense to me. I hope it makes sense to you. Moving on. So the next weakness is reluctant to open up. Advocates value honesty and authenticity, but they're also private. They may find it difficult to open up and be vulnerable about their struggles, not wanting to burden someone else with their issues. Unfortunately, when advocates don't ask for help, they may inadvertently hold themselves back or create distance in their relationships. So this one is very surface level. I'm going to go into the nuances of why this happens. I feel like this happens because it's not that we don't want to open up and we're reluctant to open up. I feel like what it's more so about is the fact that we feel like there's no space for us to open up. Like the other person most likely is not able to create the space that we need and that we would want and that we're willing to do for them. Not only that, but we're not able to get the same feedback, analyzations from them that we can't already give to ourselves. So it's almost like, what is the point then? I personally would love if I had all these people to talk to about myself and what I go through and the many, 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 many thoughts in this head of mine. But every time I would do even just a little bit of that, I feel like people were always very baffled and confused because they just never thought about it that way. They never thought about it or thought about it that way. Again, people only think about things and understand things to a certain extent. If I were to kind of visualize this, people only really go into the shore of the ocean and enjoy the waves, like the ebbs and flows of the waves. Maybe sometimes the wave comes in more and they have more thoughts, more emotions and think more deeply about something. And sometimes the wave, when it pulls back, they are just very surface level and superficial and don't really think very deeply about things and just is very surface level. But I feel like for me, I've always felt like I was way far out there in the ocean and I was just treading water out there and like deep diving every now and then into the coral reefs or whatever. (laughs) I hope you guys are following along my metaphor. (laughs) But when it comes to the context of opening up, I feel like what I would want is someone to swim out there with me, tread water with me, and then accompany me down into the depths and explore the world in that ocean. But I just, there's no one wants to do that. 
And every time I try to like call out to someone and say, hey, come over here, let's go, let's go explore. Someone's like, oh, I didn't even know that the ocean got that deep out there. I didn't even know that there was anything outside of the shore here. And then when I would see that happening, I'm like, oh, okay, I see what's happening. I see that disconnect. So I'm just going to stay here. They're going to stay over there. And maybe every now and then if they need me, I'm going to swim up to that shore and be with them in that shore. But ultimately, I'm going to go back to where I was, where I was treading water and going down and exploring the depths of the ocean and get that need met there on my own. Does that make sense? And this happens as well, unfortunately, with medical professionals. There's been so many times where I went to a therapist hoping to God that they can listen to me and be able to just understand me on a deeper level, maybe on a level that I couldn't even understand myself and be able to like tell me things about myself that I wasn't even able to see. I crave so much to be seen by someone like that and to receive some feedback and to learn about myself. But every single time I went to a therapist, I've been to so many different therapists, I was always disappointed. The therapist either didn't have anything to say or the things that they did have to say were things that I already thought about. And it's just so frustrating. Trust me, like we want to open up. We want to learn. We want to know more about ourselves. We want to connect on that level where we can feel seen, but it's just, we can't find We can't find, we can't find someone that can help actually facilitate that. I can see what this is saying, but I feel like it's deeper than that. Okay, so the next weakness is perfectionistic. The advocate personality type is all but defined by idealism. While this is a wonderful quality in many ways, it doesn't always leave room for the messiness of real life. Advocates might find it difficult to appreciate their jobs, living situations, or relationships if they're continually fixating on imperfections and wondering whether they should be looking for something better. This is funny because I feel like this is just an autistic trait. I feel like they're perceiving it as perfectionism, but I feel like the way we perceive it is like, if we know that something could be done and it's just not done, that's baffling. If I could do it in this way, why can't you do it in this way? It should be that simple, right? (laughs) But of course, people are not all the same. What's easy for us and what could be perfected by us is not necessarily possible for another person. But I could see how (laughs) that perfectionistic is like seen as a weakness yeah I I definitely resonate with this I know that this is my autism I know that this is something that I will always need to be aware of and work on because I remember in my last job before I started my own business I was constantly very frustrated with my coworkers, especially the ones that slacked off there were specific coworkers that showed up to work and tell me if any of you relate to this Work is work. We are there to do a job. You can relate and resonate and build a deep connection with your coworkers and enjoy their presence. But ultimately, when you clock in, you are on the clock, you are working, you are there to earn money, you are there to do a job. But there were specific coworkers that would come into work, clock in, and just slack off on every single task that they were assigned to and just be like talking to coworkers and customers and just be talking about themselves and their life what they're going through their emotional distress what what issues they have and i just like had such a disdain for these types of people because of this specific trait perfectionistic trait 
in my mind, I'm like, we're there to do the job. We're there to do the job the best that we can so that we're providing the services that we're expected to provide for the customers and also not letting our other coworkers down. Because for a lot of you who have been in customer service related jobs, especially food related jobs, what you're underperforming on at your job directly affects your coworkers. So if you're slacking off on delivering a specific food, drink, whatever, the other person is gonna have to pick up on your slack. If you're not cleaning the area or the restaurant or the, the coffee shop, the other person is gonna have to clean it for you. And so I always felt such a deep disturbance when someone else was slacking off and making other people pick up on their slack. And this is the difference between an autistic person slash INFJ and like other people. Other people can get annoyed and be like, this is frustrating, but I'm just going to clean up after them and pick up after them and pick up on their slack anyways. Because I feel like a lot of holistic people are, they're very adaptable in that way. They can give and take and it's just like this unpredictable process. But I feel like I have a hard time with that because I'm very rigid in that sense where I'm going to do what I have to do very well because that's my job. And I expect everyone else to do their job and do what they have to do because I am not expecting anyone to pick up on my slack. Therefore, I do not expect myself to pick up on anyone else's slack. And I feel like that very rigid idea of like work and quality of getting things done is kind of like the weakness of this trait. Of course, it doesn't have to be a weakness. I feel like a lot of the times the feedback I get from people is that I'm very consistent. They know I'm very reliable. I can always deliver something every single time the same exact way. But like on the other end of that coin is that perfectionistic trait where you're very frustrated and bothered when someone else cannot do what they have to do and what you know that they can do, but they're just not doing it. Okay, so the next thing is avoiding the ordinary. Advocates yearn to do extraordinary things with their lives, but it's hard to achieve anything extraordinary without breaking it down into small, manageable steps. Unless they translate their dreams into everyday routines and to-do lists, advocates may struggle to turn their grand visions into reality. This one I really resonate with, especially in the context of ADHD and executive dysfunction. As someone who has ADHD and autism, before I was diagnosed with my ADHD and treated for it, right now I do take medication for my ADHD to help manage those symptoms. But before, when I was untreated, undiagnosed, I always felt like there's two very different personalities and ways of being within me that always contradicted each other. I feel like there's one side of me that really craves and wants routine, that wants to set goals and to incrementally meet those goals and know exactly how to meet those goals, the steps I need to take, very, very precise, right? But there was this other aspect of me that was just like, could not get anything together. There were days where I would literally just not know what I was doing, not know how to even do things. I couldn't even do chores some days and take care of myself and like really, really struggled with executive dysfunction. 
But after I got diagnosed with the ADHD and and treated for it, I noticed that this aspect of me really came out a lot more in this paragraph, as they said. It's hard to achieve anything extraordinary without breaking it down into small manageable steps unless they translate their dreams into everyday routines and to-do lists. Advocates may struggle to turn their grand visions into reality. Every single time I need to do something that I think is important, I break it down into very, very detailed steps. Even, I feel like if I showed you guys some of my lists, you guys would laugh because of how detailed it is. Let me explain to you what my list can look like. So one time I had to go do a photo shoot that I was planning for a week. This is what my list looked like for that photo shoot. The goal was to do this photo shoot and to have this specific photo. I'm gonna put that photo up here. For those of you who don't know, I went to school for photography for four years. I was planning this photo shoot and I was writing down my list to be able to execute this photo. So my list was literally wake up at 8 a.m., make your coffee, Boo. And then I would write down how long all of these things would take. So I would literally say, wake up at 8 a.m., go make coffee, which takes around 10 minutes. Go poo, which takes around 15 minutes. Get dressed, which takes around 10 minutes. Go walk my dog, which takes around 30 minutes. Gather everything I need for the photo shoot. And then that would go off into a list of like everything I need for the photo shoot. Camera, backpack, notebook, props. Put it into your car. This takes around 15 minutes drive to the train station which takes around 25 minutes take the train from where i live to san francisco which takes around an hour walk from the train station to the studio which takes around 30 minutes check into the studio and set up the studio for photos which takes around 30 minutes meet the model interact with them bring them to the studio which takes around 10 minutes take photos of them which takes around 30 minutes say goodbye to the model go back to the studio by yourself break down the studio return the equipment which takes around 30 minutes to an hour and then walk back to bart which takes around 30 minutes take the bart back to where i live which takes about an hour um, drive home, which takes about, um, which takes about 15 to 20 minutes, and then take a bath, eat, enjoy yourself, and then get ready for bed, and then the next day spend five hours editing the photos. I had to write all of these out, like a checklist, because one, my autistic self needed to know exactly what I needed to do to get this product, because I think my autistic side was also making up for my ADHD side because I knew that I have a tendency to forget things really easily. And so if I didn't write things down in that much detail, I could very, very, very easily forget or do something not according to plan and then it would just like ruin everything else and I would have a hard time therefore like adapting to those changes. I have to be very aware of my patterns and how I did things even to how long it takes me to do things and like have to execute it like a checklist even like interactions even like you know transportation everything had to be a checklist and be done in such detail and in the exact way that I planned it out to be which could be seen as like neurotic. I see it as a superpower because I was always able to execute exactly what I planned to execute every single time. I'm gonna just like put all of the photos that I'm most proud of around me that I took throughout my four years of college that took a lot of planning in specific. Definitely resonated with this, but I don't see it as a a weakness. But I guess what this is saying is that your visions could be so idealistic that you can't execute it because it's just like too hard to do. We want to do something so extraordinary that it's just not attainable. I think that's what it's saying. Okay, so the last weakness is prone to burnout. Advocates perfectionism and reserve leave them with few options for letting off steam. 
People with this personality type can exhaust themselves if they don't balance their drive to help others with necessary self-care and rest. Okay, yeah, I, I definitely think that this is pretty accurate and I definitely resonate with it. I feel like that's a part of understanding yourself and knowing what you need because you know who you are and what you tend to do. So understanding yourself and your patterns, your needs, the way you tend to do things is so important because you can basically like try to avoid burnouts as much as possible if you know how you operate. I've definitely experienced burnout many, many, many times in my life. And in some points of my life, I've experienced burnout in a higher frequency than other parts of my life. And other parts of my life, I experienced no burnout because I went on the other end of the spectrum of like not having any goals or aspirations so that I could just like finally feel relaxed in my life but at the same time I was relaxed and I was happy but I was also not fulfilling things in my life that I wanted to fulfill on like a deeper level and I feel like sometimes I found myself feeling as if there was never a balance of in-between. It's not that I felt like it couldn't happen. I just felt like it was hard to find that balance because when I was doing very fulfilling things like taking those photos, for example, it was very exhausting and tiring because of all the work that went into it. But it was so fulfilling because I was able to accomplish and create things tangible and, and visible that I could be proud of. And it was like a representation of all this hard work and a representation of like what I felt inside. But I was so exhausted and sometimes even like emotionally affected as well. Like other parts of my life were not balanced and I was like depressed and anxious and all that stuff. Also on the other end of the spectrum, when I was like in a phase of my life where I just wanted to enjoy myself for once on a day-to-day level of like being comfortable and not having to meet all these expectations and goals, I was really, really happy and comfortable and actually enjoying life. But I was also feeling a deep sense of not being able to create something that I could feel really connected to and feel like it was fulfilling a sense of purpose. And I feel like that is definitely a weakness that we have to work on. You have to one, find what fulfills you. You have to know what it takes to feed into that fulfillment and that sense of purpose. But you also have to consciously give yourself the time, the routines and the tools to detach from that, unplug from that and actually give yourself space to like fill your energy reserves back up and relax, take it slow and not have to think so much about things. I know this sounds counterintuitive, you guys, but I literally have to plan for myself to relax. And I kind of touch on this in my sandwich technique, which is my executive dysfunction video where I go over how to avoid burnout and deal with executive dysfunction. A part of me bringing balance into my life, knowing if I don't keep myself in check, I could literally work every single day from morning to night and just never get a break and then eventually reach a burnout. But to bring balance into that, I have to tell myself every single day, do these one or two, maybe sometimes even three things that you know you have to do, but you have to give yourself time to unwind, disconnect, and to just relax. I call this the cheese of your day. 
So just enjoying yourself, doing what you need to do that doesn't require much thought, doesn't require much energy, but is fulfilling for you in a sense where you are just enjoying yourself, enjoying life. I feel like this is definitely something we have to be cognizant of, especially when you do find that thing you're passionate about. I'm talking about you guys. When we do find something we're passionate about, it's easy to hyperfocus. It's easy to be a perfectionist and overplan to have all this gusto and energy. But it's okay. That thing that you're passionate about will be there tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. Give yourself time to unwind and relax and enjoy life as well. Other than something you do enjoy doing, which is the thing you're passionate about. You can enjoy multiple things at once. Who knew, right? And and different types of things. Allow yourself that. And if you don't know what that is, figure out what that is. Sorry, you guys, I'm a little bit more expressive today because it's really, really hot here where I live. Maybe the heat is getting to my head a little bit, but also like I'm really, really positive and happy because lately I've been noticing the same viewers commenting on my videos and I've just been feeling very, very connected and fulfilled reading your guys' comments. It's just really nice to feel like I'm slowly building a small community around me. I like that I'm looking forward to seeing you guys comment on a weekly basis now. It's just really nice, especially because when I first started this channel for the longest time, I was just posting my videos out into the ether. <laughs> not getting any comment or feedbacks and likes or even views. So it's nice that I have six to 10 people that I know consistently watch my videos and pretty consistently comments as well. I really, really appreciate you guys. You guys have no idea the amount of happiness that gives me. I wasn't able to get too much about the INFJ. I just kind of like got into the general personality type and the strengths and weaknesses, but they also go into romantic relationships, friendships, parents, Parenthood, career path, stuff like that. I've already been filming for over an hour. So I'm just going to kind of wrap that up here. And perhaps if this video is something you guys like, I'll make a part two going into the other categories of the INFJ personality types and comparing it to autism. But yeah, I'm curious to know for you guys how much of this video and the treats that I talked about resonates with you. Are you guys INFJs as well? I hope if you guys are INFJs, this video and my other videos make you feel seen on a deeper level than you normally receive. Hopefully by me putting myself out there talking about these types of topics, it could help those out there feel more understood and feel more connected and fulfilled because we need more unique people out there. We need more people to talk about their experiences and their thoughts that is different from what you normally see portrayed on media. But yeah, you guys already know, I say this every single week. I am a parrot. I repeat myself. I say the same shit. Trust me, I'm tired of myself too. If you guys liked this video, if this was helpful in any way, if you enjoyed it, please let me know. It really helps my channel out. Feel free to make suggestions as well, but express to me when you guys like something because it lets me know what to make more of. So if you guys like this video or any other specific video, please let me know. And if you haven't subscribed already, subscribe to my channel. Sometimes it's nice to send these videos to people in your life that may be holistic and may not understand your autism so that they can watch my videos and perhaps understand you on a deeper level. Today's video was a little bit longer, sorry. I was rambling a lot. I feel very, very talkative for once in my life. Usually I am like 
non-verbal pretty much but today i feel very energized so i'm gonna have so much fun editing this down yeah thank you guys for listening this far i will see you guys on next week's video bye